It's always great when we can boil something down to its essence. Probably the greatest example of that in the Bible is when Jesus is asked by a scholar of the law, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? To which the lawyer replies, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus replies, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So this is the greatest commandment, to love your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's the distillation of the key principle of salvation history. This doesn't mean, of course, that love God and love your neighbor is enough by itself to sustain our faith. It's not meant to be. We obviously have to be given more specific commandments and teachings so as to be able to live the Christian life. But the greatest commandment is the lens or the framework by which we can make sense of all of the other more particular commandments that our faith gives us. Everything in our faith is oriented towards love God and love your neighbor as yourself. For example, we're given the Ten Commandments not merely for the sake of making us obey ten rules, but because in these laws we find the basic contours of what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. Or we learn from the Gospel that Christ died an agonizing death on the cross. But the reason he did this was not for the sake of suffering as an end in itself, but because it atoned for all of the sins of the world. In doing so, Christ paved the way for us to have a genuine personal relationship with the triune God in this life and to be with him forever in the next. But of course, we often have trouble following the great commandment to love our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's one thing to know that we should live this way. It's another thing to actually do it. But here in the second reading from 1 Corinthians, we have St. Paul distilling for us in a very pithy form the solution to our problem, using himself as an example. He writes, It does not concern me in the least that I be judged by you or any human tribunal. I do not even pass judgment on myself. Because this is, when you boil it down, what really gets in the way of our living out of the greatest commandment. We're too concerned about human judgment, whether that's the judgment of others against us or our own judgment of ourselves apart from God. We have human instincts that cause us to worry about things like our security, our popularity, or how we'll be remembered or perceived by others. We worry that if we're too generous, somehow there won't be enough left for us. We worry that if we forgive too easily, we'll look weak or foolish. That if we don't press our own advantage, someone will take advantage of us. I remember when I was in seminary, I was talking to a college student at the university where I played hockey. He was trying to be a good Catholic and refrain from some of the common temptations of college life. His problem that he shared with me, however, was that his circle of friends belittled him for his commitment to his Catholic faith and the fact that he did not join in on all of their questionable behavior. I told him that the problem was the same as that which our Lord identified in the gospel. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, 
or to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The solution for this young man was to leave that group of friends. They weren't doing him any good as a Christian, and he wasn't doing any good for them as a Christian witness. It was only a matter of time before they were going to bring him down to their level. But like many would ask, he wondered, what will I do without any friends? The answer, of course, was to make new friends who would share his faith and morals, people that he could grow as a Christian with, rather than concern himself with the judgment of people who clearly didn't have very good judgment in the first place. But of course, it takes courage to make that break with an old group of friends, not knowing where a new group would come from. But it's the same whenever we give up anything or risk anything for Christ. We fear the unknown. It's true that even in Christ, we never abandon prudence and sound judgment. These things are certainly virtues. But we can never separate these virtues from the promise of our Lord who tells us, look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet our Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not more important than they? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.